it's Red Voices. Thank you so much for joining us this week, everyone. And there, there's some positive things to talk about after two quite useful results against Paris Saint-Germain last night and Newcastle United on Saturday evening over at St. James's Park for Manchester United. A couple of new signings and some good wins for the Manchester United women's team to discuss too. You and Leonard and Richard can in the saddle as as is most weeks. Richard, how's things? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. It's nice. It's nice to be talking about two wins where we actually deserve to win and stuff. This is true. Uh, with Doctor Marcus once again in charge of ruining another Parisian evening. Yes. It was, uh, it, uh, the takeaway from that. I, I was strangely, I was strangely not super worried about that game just because I thought PSG don't do the pressing and the pressing is our kryptonite, mm. isn't it? Um, that, that front well, that three don't do anything. Well, that and defending, yeah, obviously, but that their front three don't do anything. They just get the ball, do the thing, and then wander off if they lose <laughs> it. Um, so you know, ultimately, we, we we faced a team with an absolutely exceptional front three, but who allowed us to play the very game that we're very, very, very good at. I'd give United a chance against any team in the world if you play an open game and let's play on the counter. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was quite low intensity, wasn't it? Um, and I think if you know, obviously. It was a nice reminder of that night, 18, 19 months ago in Paris, when we overcame all the odds. You know, the first team. I mean, it, you know, I, I say that quite glibly, but it, it's still something of achievement to come back from 2 0 down at a time, be the first team to do it. But obviously, you know, there's still an element to me thinking back about that night in Paris, as great as it was. Well, we didn't necessarily do anything with it. You know, it wasn't the sort of big kick on moment that I think a lot of us hoped it might be. Um, I think, you know, you look back at that game and that was very much about graft, wasn't it? I think tonight, last night, was a bit more about craft in a way. I think both times Ollie set the side up in a way that's gotten a positive result and I don't think we were undeserving in either occasion. I think especially that game last night, I was surprised by how well we managed the game. I still think there were certainly elements that we were lucky in the sense that we had individual brilliance in the back three slash five and De Gea played what arguably one of his best games in a while but that wasn't a lucky result last night was it rich i mean especially going back to the start of the evening with the lineup released you know harry Maguire out injured eric Bailly out injured once again axel tuanzebi coming into the side alex tellis playing his first game as left wing back there were a lot of things that could have gone wrong in that team last night weren't they and it all played out rather well yeah it was a really interesting starting lineup and <laughs> I, I completely understood why Ollie moved to the back three. That I saw an interview with um, Tuchel before the game, and he he said he was really surprised by that move. But but in the circumstance, it didn't really surprise me at all. United playing particularly poorly defensively without two of their sort of first three centre backs, and we've played with it, with that three at the back with Shaw um, as a third centre back before. Obviously, it was a hell of a game for Tuanzebe to come back in into, and if you, just a bit, it really was. And if you if you give him uh, a third centre back, then it, it kind of helps him to cover the space, gives him slightly less individual responsibility. Although he didn't need that help, as it happened. Um, and Alex Tellez has excelled as a wing back in Portugal. You know, he, he's he's incredibly proficient offensively. And I think it would have been a lot to ask him to come in and play as, a, as an orthodox left back on his debut when it's not really what he's been playing most of the time. Um, so the setup made a lot, lot of sense. And I think it was interesting again to see to see Ollie kind of choose graft over over creativity initially in the, in the midfield and, and kind of trust his front three to do the business on the counter attack. And, and as it happened, it, it was a plan that PSG clearly weren't expecting and one that they just didn't really quite know how to how to work out for long periods of the game. 
No, I mean, obviously there were flashes in that first half where PSG, despite not necessarily being at their most coherent, they were still threatening. You know, the uh, Di Maria shot to uh, the goal that Rashford scored that incredible penalty last season certainly springs to mind. Great save by De Gea. But yeah, I mean, that first half was another reminder that Solskjaer can still set United up in ways that can really frustrate and really create some chances against high-level opposition. Now, obviously, this is something that has constantly been a factor for Paris Saint-Germain over the years in the sense that they're so high-level for the French League that when it comes to playing a side that is consistently playing... I guess I say consistently, consistently, it's United. Who knows what sort of level they're playing at? It changes every week to week by the minute. But obviously, the Premier League has certainly got a high level of intensity and quality than Ligue 1. So... It just seemed like they seemed undercooked and or they they didn't they weren't playing with the sort of intensity that you would expect for a team of their stature. And obviously they have to make changes and adjustments when it comes to playing the Champions League because the level raises a couple of notches. But surprising how off they were for that first 45 minutes and United quite rightly took the lead. Bit of a theatrical die by Martial, but definitely contact was there. And then Bruno steps up and misses his second penalty in a week. Although, although. You know, Navas was clearly off his line, and it wasn't a good penalty. Um, but uh, yeah, we we got a little lucky on that one. But then, having said that, you know, we we suffered at the uh, at the hands of Palace for a retaken penalty. And mm-hmm. rules is rules, aren't they? And ultimately, he made a save from a position he's not currently allowed to occupy. So we've had five penalties in seven games so far this season. It doesn't it doesn't surprise me. I know, I know there's a lot of hand-wringing about United and penalties but but we've got a, a very quick very agile front line mm. and we've also got players who generally play with a lot of speed both in in in, in terms of when they've got the ball and also in terms of the, the, the quickness of their passing in 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 the final third so it doesn't really surprise me that we we pick up a lot of penalties I mean I don't think there's much of a that I don't think too many people could grumble about how much of a penalties these actually are. They're definitely fouls in the area. You know, there's, there's yeah. not really too much to worry about. And VAR is taking a look at all of them and deems them to be penalties. So, yeah, I guess there are some sections of Merthyside that might have their own issues with VAR at the minute, but that's for a different podcast, not ours. Um, and then going into the second half, I mean, considering that we didn't actually, considering that we scored all three goals last night, Rich, it was pretty decent to be fair, wasn't it? <laughs> oh dear. I mean, this was not Martial's best night in a uh, zebra, uh, zebra striped shirt, was it? Um, it was a pretty terrible uh, own goal to concede because it was just under zero pressure. And what what's happened? Is he just taken his eye off the ball? Yeah, I think I can see how it happened. I think it's one of those ones where you've got a player who's not a natural defender, so he's not going to attack across. He's not going to attack across and, and, and get himself in position to head it out. And what he really did, he, he saw the ball coming in. I think he just misjudged the, the flight of the ball and he went for the header and, and just didn't, just lost concentration for a millisecond and that was all he needed to to go in. Um, mm. It was just really unfortunate because, you know, United had looked so comfortable, although PSG were starting to threaten a little. They really hadn't, gone that close to that point and so that was that was quite it was quite frustrating just in just that we'd essentially kind of thrown the lead away ourselves rather than being unpicked by by PSG and one of the one of the the problems with that is that he gave them a bit of impetus and United had five or ten minutes which were quite difficult well going back to what you were saying about about PSG's creativity in general if you look at that 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 team that started they've got players missing themselves 
but that mid that, that midfield their midfield was particularly lacking in creativity and in any sort of sparkle and, and <laughs> well it's got anger in it <laughs> well, sorry has, to I mean, be bitchy <laughs> about a former united player but creativity was not necessarily a strong suit over the last couple of years well, no and it? you've got you've got gay who i think is oh, before he went off injured who i think is is a terrific player and he's somebody i look you know i kind of hoped united might have picked up when he left everton but he's he's not and he's not a creative force and they just they just lack that ability to create both from the midfield and from their from their full from their wing backs their full backs. Hmm. It was just it was more annoying that they really hadn't created much beyond their front three doing, you know, Mbappe stroke Neymar stroke Di Maria things. That made it all the more annoying because they hadn't really deserved to be level at that point. I think Mbappe just before the own goal went in had a decent chance that he basically created himself with some very nice yeah. shimmy in the box and then again De Gea sent it around the far post. It was a great shot and an even better save. But not long before the actual goal went in, Martial and Rashford had a two on one and Rashford just overcooks his pass. And if he gets that correct, then you were thinking it's probably two nil. And it's just instances like that where we're not quite at our sharpest at this exact moment in time. And obviously Rashford would go on to make us all look very stupid later on in the game, but there's still plenty to talk about during that before we get to that point. Maybe it's because we've been so starred for performances like this, but I'm struggling to pick a definite man of the match out of that starting eleven. Because there were a lot of really encouraging performances. I mean, it always helps when De Gea makes saves as he did in the game tonight. You know, he made two or three really good saves and very acrobatic saves that not many people in world football could make. And it was nice to see him, quote-unquote, roll back the years. Um, Wan-Bissaka made a series of great last-ditch challenges on incredibly talented players. Tuan Zebi coming back in for his first game in 10 months since Colchester in December of last year, was it? Mm. And his level of performance was ridiculous considering the people, the players he was up against last night. I thought that mm. was incredible. But it goes beyond them. You know, Lindelof looked quite assured. Fred and McTominay actually formed a decent access in the centre of midfield. And then when Pogba came on, and that's one thing that needs mentioning, is that Oli actually took notice of what was happening in the game leading up into that last quarter of an hour or 20 minutes or so and made a positive change he could see that 3-4-1-2 or the 3-5-2 wasn't working and we were getting overrun and then we changed into what a 4-4-2 into a diamond mm. and then put Pogba at the tip of the spear and it gave us space it gave us more impetus and then we started to look more threatening and the goal came as a result of that I thought that was a really encouraging aspect of play last night because that's something that we criticized Solskjaer for a lot not being you know proactive enough and being far too reactive for his own good Last night, you did it well, I thought. Yeah, we have talked about that an awful lot, haven't we? Because it making happens an sub- awful lot. <laughs> it, ha- it does happen an awful lot, you know, making subs far too late, making tactical changes far too late. So it was really pleasing to see him make not only a a necessary tactical change, but also a really positive tactical change. You know, if, he, if he'd have made that change and it had gone wrong, we'd have lost that game. You know, we'd have opened up and, and, and PSG had put us away then he'd have been open to an awful lot of criticism, but he, he made a change. I mean, there was some mention, I think from Pogba, he, he'd said that, that substitution was actually planned. And it may have been the case that we were going to try and keep it relatively tight for an hour or so and then and then try and win the game from there if we were still in it. And I guess that's what what happened. And, you know, you probably couldn't expect Tellez to, to be able to play 90 minutes on his on his debut. Yeah, it was a move that really made made a lot of, a lot of sense and was really impactful and... You saw the impact that Pogba can have 
from positions further forward up the pitch. You know, we've seen an awful lot of him playing as quite, almost as a second kind of holding midfielder and struggling at it. It's not his forte. Um, and, you know, for for United, we've needed that greater creativity going forward. And to have that quality to bring off the bench when you're looking to try and win a game is 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 something that not, not many sides do. You know, we often talk about the lack of depth in, in the squad, but we have now got in Van Bake and also in Pogba and Bruno and, and Fred as well. I mean, Fred was Fred didn't just have a terrific game in a defensive sense. I think he, I, I, th- I think his progression and, and, and his transitions were really, really good as well. I thought he was one of the best players on the pitch. So we had four players who were capable essentially of, in theory, four players who are capable of unpicking that PSG defense. And it's been, we shouldn't forget how long it's been since we've had that level of talent and creativity in midfield. Um, and you know PSG just weren't really able to to cope with it. They they, they clearly felt a pressure to win that game, um, and so they they pushed forward themselves, and that really exposed them to to the, the qualities that United have. And and we ultimately took full advantage. It was frustrating we hadn't done to that point. You know we could have we could have had three or four goals before Rashford scored over the piece, but it was just really nice to see having fluffed a, a couple of other really good situations where the final pass wasn't right that we actually did something really decisive in the final third and and and, and took the scruff of the, the game by the scruff of the neck and won it yeah i mean the most pleasing aspect of that is the winning goal though isn't it the the way that was executed was not um, no bones about it it was stunning the way that rashford receives the pass from pogba he doesn't look like he's going to be that dangerous from that instance but it's just the way he suddenly switches into complete killer mode and takes that one touch and just blasts it beyond Keylor Navas. It was such a great strike and a really great goal to win the game. And in comparison with that game in 2019, where obviously to a certain extent, because we've been under so much pressure, it did feel like we'd somewhat, <laughs> to an extent, stolen the result. Nothing, nothing didn't feel that way last night. I think we fully earned it. And I think it's it's really going to add an interesting context into the group. You know, RB Leipzig beat Istanbul Basaksa here last night as well, 2-0 at home. And obviously, uh, RB Leipzig will be in Manchester next week for the second group game. We've got the half of this group stage coming up before the next international break uh, in November. So there's a fair amount of this group to go through by the time we get to that point. And I think a result like that really changed the complexion. You know, a couple of weeks ago when this draw was made, you're thinking United have really got a tall order here to try and qualify, given the quality of the teams that we've got around us. You know, without wanting to be too rude about Istanbul, Basahaksa here, the other two teams you'd expect are going to be very tough or tall orders. That changes the context of the group quite substantially now that PSG have lost that first game. And I think considering if we can get a positive result against RB Leipzig next week, we've then got those back-to-back games in the group, one in Istanbul and then one in Manchester against Basaksa here. We could really give ourselves a degree of comfort coming into those last two games if we play this right. And that's not something I would have said several weeks ago. No. If anything, that, 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 that Leipzig game perhaps looks on paper, the more difficult game than the, the PSG one. Um, and they were both clearly tough assignments. But whereas what you've got with PSG, particularly with the absentees they've got, is is a team that's basically set up for the front three to do something. And if the front three don't do anything, there isn't much that else there. Leipzig are a team. They're a team and they're incredibly well coached. And they've got a, a young, very tactically sophisticated coach. 
they play very high energy they they will press united very high you know it will be a completely different sort of game and if anything else they're the kind of side which should be united's kryptonite i think if united come out of those next two group games with four points having beaten psg i think that's a pretty good a pretty good return one of leipzig and psg will have to take points off each other that's in that in that first phase of games as you say i i watched um Bashakir last last year against Copenhagen in the in the round before the the sort of the, the the German stage of the Europa League last year and they got absolutely battered to be honest. Um, <laughs> I think if you're going to if you're going to Turkey with with crowds there and and that kind of febrile atmosphere, but even then, I mean, Bashakir are a team without a particularly large support. They're essentially almost state backed and and have a very very small average support but without a crowd you're you, that 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 assignment becomes i think easier and i would expect everybody will be basahaki at home in a way although at the moment you can never quite tell but i think not losing that leipzig game is perhaps the most important thing and then then sticking the turks away once if if not twice really sticking them away twice and that should leave us with 10 points and you'd be really disappointed if you didn't go on with two games to go to qualify with 10 points so um yeah, that ne- I think that next game could possibly be the most important of the group. Yeah, sure. I mean, yes, yes, that's exactly what United struggle against. You know, th- mm. it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that those are the exact same fixtures that we typically have struggled to deal with prior to lockdown and after it. And that kind of brings us nicely into Saturday's game at St. James's, really, doesn't it? You know, it was a really interesting fixture in the sense that it started absolutely abysmally, but actually ended up rather wonderfully. That last 10 minutes was as most fun as I've had watching United since we actually played really well several months ago. So maybe not that long ago, but still, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, the start of that game, though, I mean, I guess, again, with uh, the starting lineup, obviously, with it being two weeks after the 6-1 defeat to Spurs, you're really hoping for a response, aren't you? You're hoping to see United come out, not necessarily make a statement, because United don't typically take games by the scruff of the neck from the early off, do we? It's not typically something that we do. No, but to give up the lead away that quickly was pretty galling. It, it's a freak goal, but I think at that stage it just felt typical in a way, didn't it? What a rotten slice of luck to have that early on in a game that United really needed to win. Yeah, I mean, it just felt it just felt like really since the end of the um, last season, everything that could have gone wrong kind of has gone wrong for United, um, both on and off the pitch. Um, we we're again, you know, we're now kind of seeing why. Mason Greenwood's been missing for the last the last week as well, so we were kind of shorn of players. I think we've seen that Pogba wasn't um, hasn't been fully fit really. Maguire's head's clearly been elsewhere. The whole squad haven't been fully fit, so everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. Aside from the remarkable last ditch penalty in the in the Brighton game, that's fine. Um, so that that start to the game was really completely in keeping with the just complete shit show of luck and whatever else that has been United's start to the season. Yeah, I mean, the reaction to that, I'm trying to figure out if the way in which United kind of controlled that half after that goal was as a result of Newcastle being happy with their lot for the most part and not putting us under a lot of pressure, or whether it was because United actually controlled that game quite well. Because there were a couple of periods here and there where Newcastle had decent chances. You know, the save from Callum Wilson, the second half from De Gea, who got down really low and palmed it out, was magnificent. But 
it was a very low pressing game from them you know they didn't create a lot and they really didn't trouble us that much and I think in some ways they were the perfect opponent despite even being 1-0 up because United just had time to settle themselves and really build up ahead of steam and start trying to find a way through that you know that high well sorry the the low block defensively impress is not the right word but it was comforting to see that we could actually play through an organized defense you know quite on quite organized defense anyway yeah it was but i mean ultimately again the one of the other things we've we've kind of suffered from is is a lack of decisiveness in the final third i guess and 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 the fact that it took a set piece to equalize in, in one way was 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 a good thing because United have not scored enough from set pieces for a very long time. Um, but in the other in the other sense, it almost needed that to get us back in the game because once we'd once we got level, you could see the confidence levels increase, and we actually looked like a side who could open open Newcastle up almost at will. Though we ultimately took took far too long to actually do that, but confidence is confidence must be so brittle has been so brittle for. God knows how long at United, and the start was kind of key to you know an example of that, I think. But but to get back in the game in the way we did, for Maguire to get a huge monkey off his back and score an important goal, and actually have a positive performance rather than a negative one, I think that that improved morale immediately, and and United mm. were, were straight away more confident and able to to actually impose themselves on on the game and as you as you said Newcastle weren't particularly doing anything proactive themselves other than trying to be compact and, and make something out of you know any any sort of half half opportunity they had um so it was a game from that point that was quite nicely set up for United's quality and and, and um extra creativity but it ultimately took a lot longer than it should have done and I think the missed penalty was partly to blame for that I think if that had been scored then United probably would have gone on and scored more quickly sure I mean the one thing to mention prior to the Maguire header was that United had a lovely goal chalked off correctly for offside after Mata laid it on for Fernandez. one of the best yeah. moves that we've seen for a little while from us you know until later on in the game of course but yeah you're right I mean again talking about Maguire there's a couple of interesting aspects to that performance you know obviously obviously it's nice when your club captain has you know had a period of turbulence and that's obviously well-documented difficulties when he was on holiday in Greece earlier on this year. Obviously, he's very high profile. He's got a massive price tag on his back and he plays for England and United. So he's going to be dragged down very quickly if he puts a foot wrong. The only thing I would suggest is that I don't necessarily think that 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 game on Saturday was necessarily a sign that Harry Maguire is quite on quite back because, as we pointed out, Newcastle really went up so much in attacking sense and didn't put our back four under a hell of a lot of pressure. So I'm hesitant to suggest at this exact moment in time that Maguire is suddenly looking quite on quite back to his best. I would suggest that we might hold on to that uh, sorry that premise a little while longer. And the other thing that I really haven't enjoyed about this whole discourse is that, again, the assumption seems to be that players are under such pressure or Maguire is putting himself under such pressure to continually try and play himself into form, despite the fact that he's really struggling. I know United have got their own issues with injuries, but I think it goes to this kind of rather insipid culture of footballers in particular constantly pushing through the barrier trying when they're mentally not quite there trying to get themselves to perform and it's I don't know it just makes me feel uncomfortable that he 
that perhaps he wasn't taking out the firing line when he could have done or he didn't just say I would like a game off along those lines and how hesitant we as a sort of footballing culture are to do things like that in these instances when it's clear that he's not at his best mm. things externally are affecting his performance and he could perhaps do with a break I don't know I, I just yeah it, it, it unsettles me I'm not I'm not keen on it no well it is that old that old kind of man up thing isn't it and kind of beat your chest and get through it kind of approach and it, it's not always the it's not always the right approach and I think the 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 sorts of messages you saw from his family afterwards were what you get when when you see people close to a player who actually see the the personal side of it the the, the way that a person is suffering mm. as a result of either stuff that's happened to them or their own performance or lack of performance or whatever else you know he's been through a really really tough time now people can judge for themselves how much of that they feel is his fault how much they feel has just just been misfortune but the result is just the same just because someone's a footballer and they paid a lot of money doesn't mean they don't feel pressure doesn't mean they don't experience stress about the same kinds of things we do and other things which we don't experience Mm. yeah I mean I did I did actually say before the Newcastle game that I'd have been tempted to take Maguire out now I guess with hindsight probably that wasn't the best idea because he did have a good game and he did score a goal and it might do him good. I don't know how much I don't I don't know how much you can believe Ollie when he said that Maguire was injured this week. Um but even if he's not injured and he was just rested, ultimately I think that was that would have been another brave decision that Ollie took that was ultimately vindicated for him. Um so, you know, we've seen that he's clearly been protecting um Greenwood this week saying that he's injured when it's likely it, it seems that he wasn't and he's actually kind of been taken out the firing line for disciplinary reasons um, mm. and it wouldn't it would not surprise me at all if if the same was the case with Maguire and he just said look <clears throat> two and Zebe's fit we're going away to PSG to, to a degree it was almost a free hit for United if we'd lost to PSG then you know nobody's going to be surprised it's one you take on the chin and say well I've got five games left um, and so you you know, if we'd lost to Newcastle, I think the consequences would have been a lot more. The, the, the questions would have been a lot more searching and a lot more difficult oh, yeah, to, yeah. to answer. Absolutely. So I, th- I feel like he prioritised playing Maguire for that game and then gave, perhaps gave him the week off and just said, "Go away, you know, relax, see your family, get your head round stuff, and and come back and give me a shift against Chelsea." So if that's the case, then I think it was a really sound decision from Ollie and um, and, and, and in a week of really sound decisions from Ollie. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's so much cloak and dagger when it comes to what a football manager says to what he actually means that it's very difficult to know what's actually happening at any point when it comes to any of this whole mess. But there we go. Yeah. Uh, if, if that's the case, then I think it's completely the right call. Uh, speaking of right calls, uh, Bruno Fernandes passing to Marcus Rashford, who then passed it back to Bruno Fernandes to score a great goal. That was a good call. What a goal to put us in the lead. A uh, wonderful bit of counter-attacking football later on in the game at St. James's Park. Uh, let's think... Juan Mata to Van der Beek, some lovely one-touch passing, and the the way in which Rashford holds that line and pass and just waits for Bruno to do the overlap. I think Bruno mentioned that that's something they've been working on in training. That was a really incredibly well-executed goal. The best thing about it for me was probably the finish, which was sweet into that top corner as you could possibly like. Yeah, it was. I mean, the first time I saw that goal it felt like it was offside. It felt like it must be offside because it happened so quickly and Fernandez collected the ball a good yard behind the, the back four. But when you watch it back, it was just absolutely perfectly timed, rather like um, Rashford's similar behind the, the front leg 
flick to uh, Martial at Norwich last year. And uh, again, when I went when when he, when Fernandez hit that, it, I almost felt like he'd he'd kind of sliced it a bit too much. Um, and he went, you know, a long way for, away from the keeper, and looks like it looked like he might kind of just loop at least onto the onto the bar. But it was an absolutely perfect finish, kind of posted stamp top corner. Thank you. And at that point, you know, that kind of seemed to really completely deflate Newcastle. And having been caught on the counter, they obviously then had to just throw men forward at the end and and. United are honestly, I think, as good on the counter attack as any team in Europe. United did what United can do when 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 they're allowed to do that, which is just cut Newcastle to shit, really, <laughs> with, with two more goals in in the in the last few minutes. And particularly, really nice to see Aaron Wan-Bissaka showcase a skill we didn't know he had, which was shooting really hard and really accurately a goal. Yeah, I think they're called Thunder Bastards. Yeah, it was a bit of a Thunder Bastard, and, and, and he looked extremely pleased for it. I'm, I'm not actually sure. Was that his first senior goal? It, it the, was. Uh, never scored it was for his Palace. First senior goal. Yeah. Yeah, and you could see. I mean, he looked he looked absolutely delighted to have scored his first goal, and then it was obviously really nice for Bruno and Rashford to ice the cake with another beautifully taken um, counter-attacking goal. You'd think that, that teams would stop letting us do that, and some do, but but those who don't deserve everything they get, to be honest. I mean, considering that uh, Newcastle have had a semi-decent start to this season, you know, obviously they got somewhat lucky with the draw <clears> against <throat> Spurs at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium a couple of weeks ago. They looked incredibly limited, and I think that certainly played up and helped us immensely, considering how low confidence you would assume have been after that 6-1 defeat to Spurs. So the way in which United went about their business and were allowed to go about their business, I think, is the key operative part of that. Whilst it was still really impressive that we got those goals, I think it certainly helped us. Obviously, you still need to take those chances and use that pressure well. And I think that's typically something that United haven't done very well typically over the last sort of six, seven years. When teams allow us to play and you know defend a lot, we don't typically deal with some. Well, they want to sit back and then give us a lot of the ball. We're typically pretty rubbish at breaking them down. I think... United perhaps got somewhat lucky in the sense that Newcastle clearly tied towards the end of the game and some teams aren't always going to do that, but you still got to use the space well and United do that remarkably well. If you give them opportunities on the counter-attack and Newcastle did try and give us a little bit more space in those closing stages, we just made them pay and it was a great way to seal it. You know, 4-1 obviously is somewhat emphatic to an extent, but I don't think it felt an end as a victory and given that we really needed a response Again, because we got thrashed. I don't know if I've mentioned that so far this podcast two weeks ago when we played Spurs. It was encouraging to see us respond. And especially considering that we've got Chelsea to play, who, despite throwing away uh, a... No, Spurs, beg your pardon. Actually, yeah, they did throw away a lead two two times against Southampton at the weekend and failed to get a result against Sevilla. Obviously, you beat us not long ago. An interesting game coming up at the weekend, but before we have a chat about that, let's have a quick break. We have a small favour to ask, friends. If you're enjoying the show, please help spread the word. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. It's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners, and it would be hugely appreciated. Right, Richard, we're back from the break. A couple of women's team games to talk about, starting us off with Sunday's 4-2 victory over West Ham, which was a weird one. Did you catch any of this one? I saw I saw the first half of that one. I had the kids and we were I was having to take them out somewhere. But um, I must say, having kind of watched some of the evolution, you've seen far more of the evolution of the the women's United team over the last couple of years than I have. But 
there's there's starting to be a degree of certainty about about their matches that you see from any team that's really kind of starting to look like it might be really competitive at the the top level and you get the impression with this with this this women's team that even if they concede they've got a lot of goals in them and that's that's really kind of been borne out certainly in that game and in, in the start of the season um mm. and you're seeing the two two american girls being slowly incorporated into the into the team into the lineup um and in, and and having an, an impact themselves as well so really positive steps i think both these games this week and their start to the season altogether yeah, I'd agree. Um, the only thing to say prior to that 1-0 victory over Spurs the following week was that United had a terrible performance, one of the worst I've seen from us against Liverpool in the Cup. Mm, yeah. And oh, it was rubbish. I mean, some rubbish defending and Millie Turner gave away a second half penalty and Liverpool didn't really look back from there. But then Millie Turner comes back and gets that leaping header in a really grafting performance against Spurs three, four days later. You know, United deserved the win, but we were really struggling to put our chances away and we couldn't quite find a way through. But yeah, that game against West Ham was an interesting one. We started off incredibly strongly, could have scored three goals in the first 10, 15 minutes, eventually managed to get ourselves a two-goal lead. Every time we conceded a goal, or at least twice of the times we conceded a goal, we responded pretty much immediately. Alicia Russo got two, Tobin Heath got an absolute hammer of a goal in the first half as well and Kristen Press scored not long after West Ham had gotten a second back after a slightly dodgy cross went over Mary Earps this is where things start to get interesting for United now though because Arsenal are coming the next weekend uh, two weeks sorry from now after the international break and they are fresh from beating Spurs 6-1 and uh, yeah Vivian Miedema is looking very encouraging for Arsenal at the moment so I think it's going to be a really big test of United's title credentials if they can get something out of that game having already drawn against Chelsea and with City struggling having drawn again at the weekend I think there's really something to be said that United could be in the mix by the time the season comes to its end still a lot to you know figure out for United in a sense because there's a lack of 90 minute performance at the moment we have really good periods where we dominate but then we still have defensive lapses and against the better teams that could cost us but some really, I keep saying this, really encouraging signs, and I'm still very much enjoying the ride at the moment. Yeah, I think you, we, what we're seeing, or what we saw last season, is those those leading group of teams. There was still a quite significant gap over <clears throat> over those below them, and United were kind of in the mix as the best of the rest. But the question really is how much of that gap has been has been bridged, and it's because of the the degree of quality gap between those top teams and some of the teams further down the league, which is you know far greater than you'd see say in the Premier League you can win a lot of games against those sides and look like you're much closer to the top sides but you never really know until you've played them those best you know those those very top sides a few times and as you say you know Arsenal Chelsea and City are clearly the the benchmark at the moment we've got a what was a pretty creditable draw against Chelsea in, in the first game so it's now really a case of whether whether we that, you know we can we can do that again because ultimately, if we want a title challenge, they're going to have to repeat that against against all of those top teams twice. It's going to be interesting. It'd be, it'd be good fun to find out because it, because it, it did still kind of feel like last season. You know, there were a couple of really sort of heartbreaking losses, weren't there? Mm-hmm. And against Arsenal as well, really late losses that just kind of looked like that little bit of extra quality and and belief at the end was enough. And the question is now whether United could have bridged both that quality gap and that belief gap. Well, I mean, next month will be the the one to find out. You know, United start off after the international break uh, with a game against Everton. 
uh, on Wednesday the 4th in the Cup and that'll be our second game after the game against Liverpool so fingers crossed we'll be able to get our way through that then it's Arsenal at home and then a week later it's City at home and then four days after that it's City again at home in the third game of the Cup campaign so if United are going to start bridging that gap and showing what they're made of, now's the time to do it. Four big games. I mean, Everton have had a pretty strong season, both in the men's team and the women's league so far. So, you know, that, again, that's a team to beat. There, are no, there aren't going to be easy games next month for United women. So it's really going to be fascinating to see how they cope with it. You know, I still don't think Casey Stoney is satisfied, despite the fact that we won 4-2 at the weekend. And I think that sort of attention to detail and continuing will to drive the team on to improve their level of performance is something that's really going to serve this team well as they come into really starting to show what they're made of anyway before we finish off for this week rich uh signings now we recorded a couple weeks back in a bit of a gloom after the (laughs) rather terrible defeat to spurs have i mentioned we got thrashed by spurs rich i feel like i haven't mentioned it i hadn't noticed that to be honest no, I thought not. No, no, I thought not. No. Um, so since then, we have signed four players, some of which were a surprise and some which weren't. Now, I guess we already knew Edinson Cavani was coming in. I don't necessarily know there's a massive cloud around Mason Green, but I think, as you rightly pointed out there, there's a sense that he's potentially been taken out of the firing line for one thing or another. Um, having Cavani back in, or having Cavani in the side coming into this period of games with the Champions League, with Chelsea coming and with Arsenal coming as well, I mean, how confident are you that he's actually going to be able to provide something positive for United in this upcoming campaign? I, I listened to a very interesting um, interview with the Uruguayan journalist. It may have been on the United We Stand podcast, actually, but I, I can't remember. But he was very balanced on it, I think. And he he said that United are getting a player who is incre- incredibly driven, incredibly professional, will always give his all on the pitch, has a lot of quality as a footballer, although... There has to be a question as to, to, to what what level he's still at now. But he also cautioned that this is a guy who really had a lot of trouble with injury last season um, and who hasn't played really since March. It's asking a lot for him to get back to his prime physical level very quickly and also a question of whether he can he can maintain himself physically over the season, particularly coming into a league which is as... Uh, I think intense and physically demanding as any is, but you know if if he can stay fit, I have absolutely no doubt that he can offer something, you know, offer something to United in in terms of both his quality and also the quality, particular qualities that he has, which are very different, obviously, to the other striker that we've got in the squad, Anthony Martial, who is he's he's more about pace, he's more about technique, and perhaps playing his back to goal and or running onto through balls, whereas Cavani is much more of a focus point. He's a finisher. He's He's a guy who's going to offer a lot more in the air. He's he's a more classic, classic powerful centre forward. So in that sense, he could be really good for us if he can stay fit. The frustration was that quite clearly this was a signing that was it, it happened relatively late in the window, and it there's a sense that perhaps United it wasn't a long term it wasn't a long term option, and it became apparent in the last couple of days, and particularly the last day of the window, that United weren't getting Sancho although I didn't mm. think we were for quite some time we may have got Dembele but it you know, became obvious that United had made a bit of a pig's ass of the transfer window again and Cavani kind of seemed like a fallback we need to get an attacker in we need some more goals we need to get an attacker in of some description so we're going to do a deal for him so what I'm basically saying is he could offer us something but it was it was anno- it was an annoying transfer at the time um, just because of the way the way it happened and what it says about United's 
wider competence and, and transfer policy. Yeah, opportunistic at best is the yeah. only real way to describe it at this stage, I would say. I mean, if it works out and he gets his goals, then I'm not going to be complaining too much because... No, no. I mean, the same with Agarlo to an extent. I think we've got more out of him than we assumed. And, you know, he hasn't necessarily been featuring lately. And that's not too much of a surprise. And he's probably going to head back to China in January, February time without getting another goal to his name. I would imagine we'll see a little bit of him maybe against Chelsea, maybe against RV Leipzig, probably just bed him in very slowly. And then we'll see how we go. I mean... One of the more interesting ones to discuss, obviously, is Alex Tellez, who just returned from international duty with Brazil. Now, you've watched a fair bit of him at Porto, and we saw a good chunk of him last night in the left wing-back role. Not necessarily very suited to a defined left-back role, which is an interesting one, considering that that has been a problem position for some time. So how do you see that one shaking out? He's He's a player that definitely offers us versatility. I mean, I think we saw that. I don't think Shaw is is good as a left wing-back, particularly. Um, you know, one of my long-term gripes about Shaw is I don't think he's he's especially exceptional defensively or in an attacking sense. I think he's a solid, a solid left back, but I don't think he's great at any one particular department of that. Um, Tellez is definitely far a far better te- technician. He's far better going forward. Um, I mean, you could see you could see in terms of his technique just from the quality of his corners uh, 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 in Paris. You know that the, the the quality and the degree of whip and and um, speed on the, on those corners, you know, turned what is usually a particularly benign area of United's game into one that posed significant danger. And I mean, I thought I thought he I thought in Paris he was also incredibly diligent. I mean, he is a very diligent player. He works very very hard, but his his more notable attributes are are offensive. Um, if Oli can can also make him a sturdy defender then I think you've got a player there who can offer a lot more in that role than than Luke Shaw can I'm looking forward to seeing what we can get out of him as with any player that comes from Portugal you have to wait and see to a degree and that was the case with Bruno as well because because the the standard is so much higher in any of the kind of big five leagues in Europe but particularly in, in the Premier League and La Liga I'd have said as well. So it's really a case of just seeing how he adapts to that. Some players adapt more quickly to a higher, higher standard and a different type of football than others do. But I think I think it was a really promising start from him in Paris, and and I'm hopeful that he can offer us something that that Shaw can't at the moment. Mm. I mean, the only two more players that came in in a very, very busy deadline day, a flurry of announcements, were uh, Facundo Palestri from Uruguay and uh, Ama Diallo from oh, Atalanta. So yeah. those are deals based on what we've heard since that United have been looking at for some time. Also, from what we knew from various outlets, there would be murmurings of deals going on for a while and certainly ones for the future. I think... I'm more than happy to see how both of these players fare whilst playing for United over the next couple of years. And I don't expect any of them to have a significant impact on uh, this term now. Obviously, when it comes to Diallo, he's not going to be joining us until the new year anyway. So we're going to see even less of him. Palestri obviously involved in the Champions League squad last night, but I'm not necessarily sure we're going to be seeing too much of him straight off. When it comes to looking at United's window as a whole, you can't help but have huge questions. You know, you, you look at... I think back to Van der Beek and Ed from the No Question About That podcast raised this point on Twitter earlier last night, I think it was, and just talking about the wisdom of the Van der Beek signing where it looks like he's just come through as potentially a backup for Fernandez. 
when it seemed very clear from his interview given to the club's official channel at the time that he was he had been told by Solskjaer, this is where I'm going to play you, perhaps as a pretty much as a number ten as an attacking midfielder. You know, he's only started a League Cup game so far. I don't know whether or not it's just taking him a while to bed in, or if he's been primed for a start on Saturday against Chelsea or what. But it doesn't come; it doesn't seem to be a particularly coherent strategy that United have got at them, especially for this summer. And given how I use this word for a second time tonight, but it's it's applicable. Bolshe United were about the deals they could do and the Sancho thing. I mean. It seems trite to go back to it because so much has been said about that absolute farce of a transfer saga. But United is still far and away than one of the most dysfunctional big clubs in world football when it comes to trying to sort out transfer strategies and which players to bring in. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I mean, at least at the minute we live in a world where Barcelona exists and they're even more dysfunctional than we are, which takes some doing. But still, I mean, it's something that just isn't going to get better until, as we said in the last episode, until someone, you know, an adult comes in and starts leading that that, that business, really, is it? No, I mean, you know, I, I spoke about this, the Sancho transfer early in the summer and given the, the financial climate, it seemed completely bizarre to me that, you, that United would think that they could do that deal. And it almost worried me that, that, that they might do that deal because, you know, again, we've seen from the from United's financials today and I, I, I think they're actually slightly better than I, I'd, I'd anticipated but even then they're pretty worrying and I think that'll be the case for an awful lot of clubs but if you look at look at the rest of Europe in, in terms of the big clubs in Europe those who, who aren't funded by oligarchs or countries nobody's spending their money and the vast majority of them were, were really focused on cost cutting you know for United to go out in that market without any owner funded input and without the kind of advantages that Chelsea had in terms of their their enormous transfer kitty because they couldn't spend last summer, for United to go out and spend even eighty, ninety million of pounds on a footballer just to me just seemed absolutely ludicrous. It it seemed ludicrous that it could be done or that it should be done. So quite what United thought they were doing, either whichever you believe, either trying to con us all to, into the you know that we could do the deal or as as appears more likely actually thinking they could until the last week of the window just absolutely baffles me mm. and, and from that point from that point on you know it was clear after the penny dropped that that united were then desperately trying to do a deal for a loan deal for a player in Dembe- in Usman Dembele who has spent a large portion of the last couple of seasons injured who clearly didn't seem to particularly want to to leave Barcelona or to give up on Barcelona and who Barcelona clearly didn't really want to loan out because that would have left their squad short because and, and they wouldn't have been able to buy Memphis I don't it, it just showed an approach that was just completely bizarre you know I think there is some comfort in the signing of Traore when when we were first linked to him I did a bit of digging on him and it does seem like he is an, an exceptional, a really exceptional talent and a winger and a right winger. I think I think there is potential for him to play some part this season. I think I think he's potentially got the talent, although he's clearly going to be very, very raw. The way that United finished the window not getting in a, a, a right winger was, frankly, piss poor, really <laughs> piss poor. What we ultimately got was the signing of two young players who, who could actually be really really good players for us long term really talented kids turned into a negative because it didn't 
remotely make up for the failure to actually adequately strengthen the the first team and if and it didn't need loads of money i mean if you look at the sorts of deals other clubs have done you know there are a lot of innovative deals there are a lot of deals with um <clears throat> that were either just just loans of relatively high quality players that that clubs need other clubs needed to get off their wage bill or buy deals where players would be bought in a year's time but initially on the loan but united didn't ever seem to really have the don't seem to have the smarts to be able to do that kind of that kind of deal it was just incredibly frustrating you know and but 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 at the same time it, it was difficult to be angry about it because it just felt standard it, it felt like to expect any more was probably unre- un- unrealistic. I guess as well, coming on the back as it did of the 6-1, it, it was just a perfect storm of negativity. And United are all about appearances when it comes to their dealings and how they like to brief and all this sort of stuff. And it's nothing that hasn't been said before, or indeed I haven't said before. So I'm not necessarily sure I've got much more need to say on it. I mean, it sucked. I didn't enjoy it. It yeah. was really disappointing considering that there were obvious shortcomings in the squad which were not addressed I'm sure in some ways, even if all five of the signings that we've got uh, end up doing good for the team this season, that would be fantastic and I'll be more than happy with that. It doesn't make up for the fact that it's still muddled thinking and United really need to start getting a handle on this. I don't know if it's ever going to happen when Edward Wood and Matt Judge are in charge. I have a feeling it will not, but it's just all very needless. I mean, leaving transfers for the time being, I think considering how... United came back into form in this international break. I mean, I'm feeling a modicum of confidence coming into this next week now. And again, it's a really huge one. You know, United are going to be entertaining two really good sides in Arsenal and Chelsea. Obviously, Chelsea have got their own defensive shortcomings. So obviously, we've got a bit of a kinship going on there at the moment. Um, Mm. Arsenal, now, with the way that... I mean, I've spoken about this as well, and plenty of others have as well. Mikel Arteta has actually got Arsenal incredibly well-crafted and working incredibly hard with a plan. I think that's a big test for Ole to be able to break that team down because we were certainly second best when we played them last season. and sec- Well, the game at the Emirates. So I'm not necessarily hugely confident about <clears> that. And But put it this way, you know, without wanting to get too far ahead of ourselves, I don't necessarily think we expected two wins from two when we were looking at these fixtures on Saturday early evening, right? Uh, you know, yeah. to get two wins from these games, great. Let's see how we kick on from that before we start drawing too many huge conclusions. Is that about right? Yeah, and I think we should also take into account the fact that football is just going through a madness. Um, it is, yes. I mean, currently, uh, Real Madrid are 3-2 down to Shakhtar Donetsk, which is yeah, I'm, very enjoyable. I've just, they've just pulled two back, um, I, but I have, I have been sitting here trying not to squeak as each of the, the Shakhtar reserves goals went in. Um, <laughs> it's but, very yeah, enjoyable. I mean, football is, I mean, quite clearly, the lack of a crowd is playing a really significant part on, I think, particularly the concentration of teams. And you're losing a lot of home advantage as well. Mm. Um, I was, it was interesting actually. I was listening to um, Danny Mills on the radio. I'm not a great Danny Mills fan. When I was driving on at the weekend, and he thinks it's almost impossible without a crowd to have the same level of concentration and just that level of adrenaline that you have without one. And particularly if you're the home team, he doesn't think there's any way that United would have conceded six goals at home to Spurs with a crowd with a, with a crowd in the stadium because because you're not just responsible to yourself you're not just responsible to your manager you're responsible to the, the 76,000 people who are who are there watching you and, and seeing and groaning at every bit or holding you responsible for what's happening 
And I think we've seen a lot of that. I think we've seen an awful lot of games where it's it's felt not a lot like a training ground game. And again, you know, this, this Real Madrid game we're watching tonight, I mean, he's literally been paid, played at the training ground, but <clears throat> it, it has almost been a training ground game. There isn't that concentration at the back. There isn't that degree of, of tactical intensity that, that, that there would be in if these games were being played in front of full stadia. And when you've got two teams who've been as, as schizophrenic as United and Chelsea have this season, both offensively and defensively, it's very difficult to to know what what you're going to get out of a game. I don't I don't think Lampard is he's particularly covering himself in glory as a tactician, um, whereas I think Arteta really has done, and 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 Arsenal will be the I think the far more difficult tactical prospect. But Chelsea do have some insanely talented attacking attacking players, and if United aren't concentrated, if they're not on it, if they don't play well through a press if if they're not sharp then Chelsea could rack up a few goals so you know it, it's really one of those games where either side could win really comfortably but I would imagine that both sides would probably score and it will probably be quite high high scoring game the game that Chelsea played against Southampton at the weekend was a fantastic indication of their strengths and weaknesses right you know it's, Werner looked great Havertz looked great. The front three played really well. Chelsea have got great options when it comes to their attack, but their defence is an absolute nightmare. You know, I, I know uh, Kepa again had another difficult game. I'm, I'm assuming he won't start at the weekend, but you know, and they had a relatively useful draw against Sevilla last night in the Champions League with Thiago Silva coming back into the side. But again, you know, he looks like a player who's struggling. So quite. Where do we place this? You know, again, I don't. I, I was encouraged by United's performance against Newcastle, but I don't think that represents a great sea change in terms of our defence's ability. And as damaging and uh, capable as PSG are in the attack, who knows what sort of defensive display we'll see at the weekend? I don't necessarily think we're going to see a side that will fe- will reflect the one that we saw in Paris last night. So. And you're right, you know, the fact that there are lacking, there is no crowd in these games, you know, the intensity is obviously very different and it allows for a lot more unpredictability. You know, football is much more unorthodox and in some ways more exciting than it would be otherwise. You know, I I don't think you get the 3-3, that incredible game against uh, Spurs and West Ham at the weekend with a crowd. Mm. I think it... It's made the Premier League a lot more interesting and hugely unpredictable. Um, you know, hopefully it was a bit more predictable when it comes to us over the coming months. But regardless, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see things shaken so straighten up for a little while yet. So I guess let's enjoy the ride for the time being, and obviously hope we come out the other side of it. Right, let's leave it there for the time being, Rich. Uh, we will catch up again after. Oh, what should we say? Leipzig next week. Yep, that sounds good. Sounds pretty good. Guys, thank you so much for listening this week and all, indeed all weeks. And don't forget, you can always find us on Twitter, should you so wish. You can find me at at you and like this. You can find Rich at at Rich Red Voices and the pod at Red Voices MUSC. And if you're feeling so kind, because it's really useful for both of us and indeed the growth of the podcast, leaving a review on iTunes or a subscription on Spotify or anything along those lines is incredibly helpful. Have yourselves a fantastic week. We'll be back after the RB Leipzig game next week. Take care of yourselves. Bye. (laughs) 